What's up? Woo! I like that. That's always the natural response. What's up? Woo! Does that mean you're good? Like, is that, is, that a, is that a good thing? I guess silence means not good. I don't know. Hey, uh, my name is Trey, and uh, I just want to say, first of all, I'm so happy to be down here. Uh, I used to get to be down here a little bit more, and um, just life busy and stuff, and, and the job that I work in now has just got me just constantly busy, and so anytime I get to come down here is a treat for me. I love getting to hang out with the living room. Um, you guys are an incredible group, and so uh, I'm just thankful that the whole team here, Brad and Matt and Mitch and Beth and everybody, they're just awesome, and they truly do love you guys uh, and, and put in so much effort uh, to make this an incredible experience for you. So uh, I love getting to come down and spend time with you guys. Um, I'm not going to tell you really much about myself because you'd probably be bored, so uh, I'll just jump right into it. We're in this series uh, right now called Real Talk. Real talk. And those of you who were here last week, you got to hear part one. We're going to start uh, or jump into part two today. Um, but we're walking through the book of James. And James is it's, it's this little small book kind of at the back of the New Testament in the Bible. And James was this writer who basically is like all about real talk. Like he is all about like, hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know. I'm going to put it forth right there. Straight shooter. Like it's in there. Now you know what you're supposed to do, right? Like the whole premise behind it, like we learned this last week, is basically like that your, your faith should inform your works, and that your works should reflect your faith, right? Like your faith should inform your works, and your works should reflect your faith. This is what we learned last week, and basically that's the whole premise behind James. Like James is just like, look, if you're going to call yourself a believer, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you're gonna follow, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to be the type of person that's not only going to talk the talk, but you're going to walk the walk too. Like, he wants you to be right up in there. And I see some heads nodding. You're like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, that's kind of what we talked about last week. So we're going to continue that this week. And I want to talk about this right here, this, uh, this one little word. Um, it's called favoritism. And I know a lot of us in, in life, I would guess, and, and I think I'd probably be pretty accurate in saying this, that probably 100%, I know that's strong, right? Like some of you are tech people, like your numbers people, and you're like, oh, he's about to say something like 100%. I would say 100% of us have either been recipients of favoritism or have given favoritism to another person at some point in our life. Like if that's not you, raise your hand. That's what I thought. Ah, yeah, you're lying. You're lying. <laughs> But I'd say 100% of us have either received favoritism or we have given favoritism in some way or another. So this is going to apply for everybody in the room as we talk about favoritism tonight. As a matter of fact, just to start, I would love to just kind of get like, like take a poll. Like how many of you would say that you are like the favorite child, right? Like, okay, like some, like you, your hands shot up. You're just like, mm, I'm an only child, but I'm the favorite, right? <laughs> no, you probably have brothers or sisters, right? And you're definitely the favorite. I would consider myself the favorite as well. I'm the oldest, you know? So I'm like, yeah, of course mom and dad like me the most, you know? Like I was the first one. Like everybody's doting on me like Trey was born and then my whole life. It's just been like you are the favorite, right? Or if you're the youngest. Like if you're the youngest, you're probably the favorite too. Because, like, you, you basically, like, by then, like, your parents have either gotten to the point where uh, they're just like, okay, you know what, like, I've figured this thing out, or they just don't care. And they're just like, you, like you, you didn't have to, like, like, your older brothers and sisters took care of all the mistakes and all that kind of stuff. So your parents would just chill with you, and you're just like, you can have whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Like, you're the favorite, right? If you're a middle child, like, life is just, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> life just sucks, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See, some of y'all are going to go home and be like, this is so true. 
<laughs> I'm totally kidding. Love middle children. I have, I have two younger brothers, so I'm the oldest of three. And my middle brother, uh, his name is Jamie. He's an incredible dude. I have a younger brother who actually is at Georgia State right now, about to finish in a couple months. And so, um, so we just had a great life, but I would definitely say that I'm the favorite, and I think they both would say the same, too. Not about me, about themselves, that they are also the favorite. Maybe for some of you, uh, you're like the teacher's pet. Do we have any teacher's pets? Yeah, a few of you. <laughs> some of y'all are just like, nah, that is definitely not me, you know? Maybe not now, maybe back when you were like in elementary school or, you know, middle school or, you know, maybe even in high school some. Like, I was the teacher's pet. Like, I'm not bragging, but I just, I feel like I was the teacher's pet. As a matter of fact, like, you, you, here's why. Like, I mean, look at him. That's Trey, like, circa probably, like, six or seven years old, something like that. Like, I mean, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm rocking, like, the tie. Like, I got, like, the sweater vest going. I got that snaggletooth grin going. Look at those eyes, man. Like, how can you not, though? <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> how can you not love that face, right? I was the teacher's pet, you know? Like, it was just, I was like the, the kid that would, like, bring the apple and just, like, always just very, like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, all that kind of stuff. Yes, sir, no, sir. I had this teacher in, uh, in high school, actually. His name was Coach Dart. He coached nothing. He was not a coach at all. But we called him Coach Dart for whatever reason. He was a former engineer, uh, graduated from, like, MIT, I think, and then decided that he wanted to teach in high school. He's just like, I just love it more, you know? But his thing was, like, he had his favorites. He had, he, like, his favorites were the girls, in the class. Like some of y'all know this person, right? You had Coach Dart, you know, right? Like he, like the girls were his favorite. He hated the guys for whatever reason. Like he treated them terribly unless you played baseball, which I did, right? And I think like maybe because his son, like his son got a full ride scholarship to University of Hawaii, like the Rainbow Warriors or whatever. Like he was always talking about his son, but he loved, like that was his thing. Like that was, he showed favoritism to the dudes who played baseball and the girls, like all the girls. Like now that I think about it, like that's kind of weird. Like that's a little creepy. I don't know. Anyway, that was Coach Dart. Like, you know, some of you were teacher pets. Some of you experienced not being the teacher's pet. You saw the whole favoritism thing there. Maybe you were the coach's favorite. Maybe you were the one that got all the playtime, you know, and, and you, you were the person that, like, coach wanted you to have the ball. Or coach wanted you to be up to bat. Or coach wanted you to be leading the team when it was in the clutch moment. You know, as a baseball player, I'm like, bottom of the night, down by three, bases loaded, full counts, two out. What you going to do? I probably would have struck out. Matter of fact, that actually happened a couple times, you know. I wasn't the coach's favorite, but some of you might have been. Or maybe you're the one that delivers the favoritism sometimes or have delivered the favoritism in the past. Maybe for some of you, uh, I was talking with an au pair, what, yeah, right here. She's an, you're an au pair from, from Johannesburg, right, South Africa. What you, remind me your name? Saray, right. Could you just say something else just so we can hear you talk? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally putting you on the spot right now. So you're an au pair, au pair, au pair, right? Okay. And so you, you like, as I mean, you watch children. How many children do you watch? Two boys. One of them's your favorite, right? Uh, see, she didn't want to admit it. <laughs> she didn't want to admit it. But you know, like, you know, like, how old are they? Two and four. That's awesome. Oh, you doing something cool for his birthday? Yes. You don't have to tell everybody. It's, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so she, I mean, so, like, I would think, like, a lot of you have had this experience, like, as a babysitter or something, you know? Like, you have, like, maybe if you had, like, two little girls and then, like, an older boy, you know, and you know where I'm going with this. Like, the girls are like, oh, they're just so sweet. I just, lo I just love you guys, whatever. And then the boy comes up, like, ah! 
<laughs> you know, like he's always like jumping and launching himself. I have a four-year-old. I know what it's like, right? And you're thinking like, no, I love them all the equally. You know, I love them like the parents are like asking how were they. They're like, they were just such angels. They were so great, you know, but really, like, you remember, like, an hour before when, like, one of them came in and, like, pulled the hair, and you're just like, okay, now, Josh, you don't need to do that, and you just pinch just ever so slightly, you know, just to, like, get them back, because they are not your favorite. <laughs> you are my favorite. You are not my favorite, okay? We've all experienced favoritism in some way. Either we've received it, or we've been the ones to give it. And there's an innocence in that, right? Like, teacher's pet, like, favorite child, all that kind of stuff. We can go back and forth. There's an innocence that's found in that kind of favoritism. But James, as we will see, has a little bit of a warning about a particular type of favoritism. And he says this. It picks up in James chapter 2. He says this right here. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. I told you straight to the point. Like, he's going hard in the paint. He's just basically like, oh, yeah, favoritism? Nah, yeah, don't do that. Right? Like, just straight up, like, hard line, don't show favoritism if you would call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? But if that wasn't enough, he's like, all right, I'm going to give you a little example. So he goes a little further into this, and he says this. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in, right? So basically he's talking like you got a rich man, you got a poor man. Like just from appearance, visibility, you see this guy, man, he's wearing some great clothes. This guy, not so much. I don't know what's going on. Then he goes on. He says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, sir. But you say to the poor man, oh, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Mmm, yeah right? That resonates. Like, y'all feel that. Because you would look at this, and you would see the situation, and you would think, yeah, like, we, we, where do we automatically put ourselves? We automatically put ourselves in the poor man's spot. Poor man has just watched rich man come walking up in here, and he says, here, sir, have a seat. Can I get you a glass of water? And he comes walking in, and he says, you can stand over there, you can sit here, whatever you want to do. I don't really want to pay any attention to you right now. And we would all look at that, and we would think, there's, there's, there's something wrong with that, right? Like, I think we would all agree in that situation that there's something wrong with that. But for you, the situation might not be a rich versus a poor situation. Like, who represents the poor man in your situation? Maybe for some of you, maybe it's that, that annoying friend that you have, right? Like, 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 like that stage five clinger friend, you know? Like, that friend who, uh, I, and I'll, okay. I have, this, I have this acquaintance in my life. <laughs> I won't say whether it's he or she, but this person um, is not somebody that I've ever really known very well in my life, right? Like, we connected a long, long time ago, and they thought, hey, this is a really great connection and stuff. And so they will blow up my phone constantly, like texting with, like, these messages about stuff that's out of nowhere. And I'm just like, bro, I don't even know you. I just said it was a bro. But I'm like, bro, I don't even know you, right? <laughs> and I mean, like, I kind of I know him, but not really, you know? So I haven't seen him for a long time. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, just starts, starts hitting me up again, you know? And there's a part of me that, like, something stirs in me. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't have time for this, you know? Like, you're that annoying friend. You know, maybe that's the poor man. Like, I just don't have time for you. 
Or maybe for some of you, I know uh, we, we, we try to uh, get you guys involved as part of your spiritual journey here. And maybe for some of you, you serve with either uh, Inside Out or, or with Transit or with Wamba or Upstreet or something like that. And maybe some of you have like that annoying kid, you know? Like you have your favorite people. You have the, the group of kids that you love playing with and they're just great. And it just seems like they have a great family life. But then you have that one kid that, that just for whatever reason, like they just seem to be like that, just like they just ask all the wrong questions and they say all the wrong things and they dominate the conversation. And it's just like there's a part of you that just wants to be like, just stop. I don't have compassion or time or anything for you. For maybe for some of you, maybe it's it's you know somebody that you would look at in like a different fraternity or sorority or something, you know, like do you see her? Yeah, I saw her. Yeah, yeah, you know she she rests zeta phi beta. She not a kappa. I don't want nothing to do with her. You know what I'm saying? Like like some of y'all, some of y'all just look at you, she's like what? Like I don't get it. It's Greek life. It's okay. <laughs> huh? I'm okay. Well, how how should I say it? Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Dang. Gosh. I, I did my research on this. I looked it up, and it was like the top nine sororities at Georgia State, and, and I guess I said the wrong one. I guess, I guess one of them was a fraternity. I don't know. Anyway, things that blow up in your face when you're on stage in front of 200 people. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. I tried. Thank you. Thank you. A for effort, right? Got it. Um, <laughs> for some of you, maybe it's a belief thing. For some of you, maybe, maybe it's somebody that believes something differently than you do. And you look at them and you think, you know what, we don't see eye to eye on this. So I just don't, I don't, I don't have time for this. I can't, I can't deal with that, you know? Or maybe, maybe it goes a little bit deeper than that. Maybe for some of you, it's something that someone did to you years ago for some of you. Maybe some of you are dealing with somebody who, who maybe said something the wrong way to you or said something about you to somebody else or did something that just seemed absolutely evil to you, and now you just don't want anything to do with them. I'm not saying that you got to be best friends with them, but there's some type of favoritism that you show to everyone else because when they walk in a room, you're like, I don't want anything to do with them. And as a matter of fact, you're going to go out of your way to make sure they know constantly that 10 years you hurt me. 10 years ago you hurt me. Or maybe it continues. Somebody felt that. Maybe it continues. <laughs> maybe it continues. Maybe, I mean, I, the, like the political climate in our country right now is just, it's so high, you know? The racial climate in our country right now is so high. There are families and friendships that have broken up because one side voted for Hillary and one side voted for Trump. There are people on both sides of the spectrum when it comes to black versus white versus Asian versus whatever else is out there. There's socioeconomic differences that people just cannot seem to get past. Maybe some of you have been in the experience where you were looked down on because you make less money or you live in a smaller house than somebody else. Or maybe it's flipped. Maybe it's on the other side. Maybe you've been looked down on because you live in a bigger house or make more money. It goes both ways. See, this prejudice and this racism and the discrimination and all those things are just extreme forms of favoritism. And we deal with this every single day. It's a judgment that we make about somebody that's rooted in evil thought. And so we, we continue into this. 
James tells us, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, I'm going to get back to the, the royal law thing here in just a minute. But what James is doing in this moment is he's basically separating as far as possible he can. Love your neighbor on one side from favoritism on the other side. And what he's saying is that in this moment, love your neighbor and favoritism cannot exist together in the same place. You can either do one and love your neighbor, or you can do the other and you can show favoritism or that judgment, that discrimination that's rooted in evil thoughts. And the reason that this is a problem is because it directly contradicts the royal law found in Scripture. It's everything that the New Testament is based on. It's based on the fact that Jesus himself showed us what it meant to love your neighbor. He gave his life for all of us. And so if we're going to choose favoritism, we say this. We say, you know what? I'm worth more love than you are. We say, you know what? This person has a higher value than this person. This person is not worthy of my time. That's what favoritism says when we show that. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a buffet. Does anybody like to eat? <laughs> oh, yes. I love to eat, right? And I know a lot of you probably, you have friend groups and stuff, and you're just like, hey, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? Some are like, I want sushi. And some are like, oh, I don't you know, want to eat seafood. Well, I want to I eat burgers tonight. Well, I want to go to a steakhouse or whatever. It's like you have all these differing opinions, but when you have a buffet, Right? Like Golden Corral, baby. Ride them up. Let's go. We're going to get in there, and we're going to walk the buffet. I'll tell you right now. I like to eat. I don't like buffets. I used to like buffets. I don't like buffets anymore because I became a germaphobe, and it's like you got all those hands and stuff, and you see these kids, like, coming in, like, doing this and, like, reaching up in there and stuff. Like, I don't want anything to do with a buffet. But the good thing about a buffet is this, is that all your friends can get together, all your family can get together, and each one of you can pick and choose what you want. You can say, oh, I'll have a little bit of this, and, and I'll have a little bit of this, but I don't want any of that. I'm eating steak tonight. You can, you can keep the chicken. I don't want any of that. It allows us to pick and choose what we want. But the problem with that with people is that's exactly what this discrimination and prejudice and all those things are. I mean, you could, you could say it this way. Favoritism, discrimination, prejudice, and racism is when you pick and choose who your neighbor is. Remember, we're going back where, where Jesus says, love your neighbor. Or James says, love your neighbor, right? Based off of, of Jesus' words. Love your neighbor or show favoritism. You can't do both at the same time. But all of these say, oh, well, we can, we can pick and choose who my neighbor is. Now, wouldn't that make things easy, though? Like, when you really think about it, like, wouldn't it make it easy if we could just pick and choose who our neighbor is? We, thank you. We do that, right? Because it's easier. It's way easier to do that than just to say, oh, I'll have this person, and I'll take care of this person, and I'm going to give this person special treatment, but you, no, 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 you can't, you can't have anything to do with me, and you, I don't, I don't have time for this, and man, just, just get back, you kind of smell, you know? <laughs> Whatever the situation is, that's what we do. But Jesus himself had something to say about that. And I want to pick up this next passage in Luke chapter 10. This is one of my favorite, favorite stories in all of the Bible. A lot of you have heard it before. Uh, but it picks up in Luke chapter 10 and says this right here. Now, and I'll, I'll just I'll set this up really quick. You can just leave that up there. 
So this is a situation where Jesus is speaking with a lawyer. Right? And you think of a lawyer, you think of those who study law, they're well-read people. They're the type of people that, like, they read all the time. Like, you know some people who are in law school, probably, or you've talked to people or you've heard about it. Like, they spend all their time in the library, right? They just read books and books and books and books and books and just keep on going, right? So they're well-read people. And if you know any lawyers, any attorneys, you know that they're not only well-read in law, but they also have to know a wide array of things in other areas as well. So these are very knowledgeable like thoughtful, like in it people, right? And so Jesus is talking to this lawyer, and it says this. He says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, right? This is important. He's testing him, okay? Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this lawyer stands up. He's like, all right, I'm going to get this guy. What do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I need to do? To, to experience life with you? Like, how do I get to be with you? How do I get to be in good standing with you? How do I get to live eternally after my time here on earth is done? Like, what do I need to do to do that? And keep in mind, this is a, this is a, a lawyer, right? This is a well-read person. So he probably already knows the answer. But he's asking Jesus anyway just to see, just, just to see what he says. So he goes on. So Jesus says, him, he says to him, he says, well, what's written in the law? Isn't it like Jesus? Like, Jesus will do that a lot of time, right? Like, he'll return a question with a question, you know, it's like, nope, back on you, gotcha, you know. <laughs> and he replies, he says, well, how do you read it? And so the lawyer replies to him, he says, well, I know that answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Got it, right? Like nailed it, like right on top of it. He's just like, yeah, he's like, I can imagine like kind of puffing his chest like, I knew that answer, right? And so it goes on. He says, you have answered correctly. This is Jesus speaking to him now. So do this and you will live. Now, most people would be okay at that point, right? Like maybe he's just okay. Maybe Jesus is just kind of like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and like play his little game. You know, like what do I need to do? Okay, love the God, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, all this, and love your neighbor as yourself. Got the answer right. Okay, very cool. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer doesn't leave it there. He goes on because he has an agenda, right? Like he's, he's, he's thought through this, right? And he goes on. He says this. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? So he's already said, like, love your neighbor. And now he's saying, but who is my neighbor? See, what he's doing in this moment is he's looking for a loophole. He's looking to justify himself like we often do, right? Like when we won't, don't want to give somebody the time of day, We'll do everything that we can to try to justify. We'll take everything that Jesus said and try to twist it into something that makes sense for us in that moment. And so this is exactly what he does. He says, well, who, who is my neighbor? Right. But Jesus doesn't just say everyone. Just like in Jesus' fashion, he goes back and he says, all right. Did anybody watch Shark Tank? Shark Tank, like Mr. Wonderful. You know how like when he gets into his mode where he's just like, I'm going to tell you an ancient story about da-da-da-da. And you know he's about to be like, I'm going to get you. Right? This is where Jesus is going next. He says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, i got to tell you really quick. So this man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. You assume that this man is 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 a Jew, right? Potentially. We don't know, all right? So he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this would be the equivalent. Like, this road that goes between these two cities was basically, like, kind of a sketchy place. Like, it's one of those places you don't want to be found at night. Like, it'd be comparable like Woodruff Park, right? Like, okay, y'all, you're with me. You, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know, go down there tonight. Don't do that. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> 
So, so this is kind of a sketchy area. There's a lot of areas where you could kind of get, like, you could get mugged. Like, people could be hiding and come out at you and try to steal from you and all that kind of stuff. So he's walking on this road. He's attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and then went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I want to give you some context here. When it says they stripped him of his clothes, here's the thing. In that day, your clothing was one of the ways that people would identify where you're from. So when they say he stripped him of his clothes, they weren't saying that he was naked. He wasn't just laying there butt naked. Basically, they stripped him of his outer garments, which would be the thing that would identify where he's from. He's just left in his undergarments there. And then it also says that they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So he's not fully dead, but at this point he can't speak. Well, that's the other thing that would give you an idea of where he's from. I told you about my friend over here from South Africa. When she was talking earlier, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, she sounds like she's from South Africa, Right? And then she was just like, yeah, when I came over from Johannesburg, I can't speak like you. But when, she, when I came over from Johannesburg, I was just like, ah, I got it right. Sweet, you know. Like I could tell where she was from based off of her accent. Those are the two things. And so what Jesus is doing here in this parable is he is establishing that this man who's just been beaten, who nobody knows where he's from, is, is sitting there. And anyone who would be walking by would, would not be able to look at them and tell whether or not it's their neighbor or not. So that's what Jesus has established in this moment. He goes on. He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a priest, a Levite, just a quick little deal, difference between a priest and a Levite. Basically, like a priest, all priests are Levites. Um, Levite, like a priest is just kind of like a higher, higher version. It's like kind of a little step up from there. Priests are the ones that do a lot of the things. They have, you know, they, they have to remain clean and all these other things. Levites also would fit into that, but they assist priests in a lot of different things. Both are Jews, okay? So... As they're walking by, they see this man in the middle of the road, lying there, half naked, half dead, can't tell where he's from. I'm not sure if he's dead or not. And so they decide, I'm going to go to the other side of the road, and I'm going to walk this way, watching this guy as they go by. Now, all right, devil's advocate. Maybe it's just like, okay, if I touch him and he is dead, then I become unclean, and then that's a whole different story. Like there were rituals and things that they had to follow in the law, okay? But one way or another, they decided, hey, I don't know if that's my neighbor or not. So I'm just going to go ahead and go by. I'm not going to risk it. And the story goes on. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, let me tell you about Samaritans. Some of you know this. Samaritans were not really respected people. Samaritans were considered the half-breed. There had been inbreeding between, uh, you know, the, the, the different sides. And, and basically, Samaritans were looked at as the people who just like, we just don't associate with them at all. They would be considered not my neighbor, right? So a Samaritan comes in, and what Jesus is doing in this moment, and this is, this is really, really strong, right? But I want you to get a picture of, of what Jesus is doing in this moment. When he drops a Samaritan into the story, that's like the equivalent of if I were to be giving, uh, if he were to be giving this message, that telling this story in a black church, and he would have dropped a KKK member in as the hero. Chaos, right? Like that would cause an outrage. Like he's, he's telling this story amongst people who have been oppressed, and now he's bringing the oppressor in as the hero of the story. So Jesus is really setting this thing up as far as like favoritism, right? Like you can see where this is going. <laughs> And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. And I don't, know, I don't think it really means that he felt bad 
for him. I mean, I'm sure he did. But I think we take a step further and we say, you know what? He had compassion on the man. He felt something in that moment for the man. And the same man who he didn't know where he was from, he didn't know if he was his quote-unquote neighbor or not. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to have compassion on this man. And so he walks up to him and he does this. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, it doesn't say necessarily what the man was in the process of doing. It doesn't say where the Samaritan was going necessarily. It doesn't say if he was on his way to work or if he was on his way to his family or, or what was happening at the time. We just know that in this moment, he has stopped everything that he was doing. He stopped in his tracks, had compassion on this man. And he went to him and he bandaged him and he took care of him. And he put him on his own donkey and said, I'm going to take you where you can get more help. And he continues. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Now, the next day would indicate that not only did he take care of him that day, but he stayed the night with him and then continued on the next day. And, and I guess he had something that he had to be at. Like he had an obligation. There was some reason that he needed to leave. And so he said, look after him. And when I return, so he's coming back. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, you need to know this. In that day, it was well heard of and well known that innkeepers would commonly kill people who would stay longer than the amount of time that they had paid for. Extreme, right? Like straight savage. But that's how they lived. That was how they operated. Get them out so we can get somebody else in here. And this man says, you know what? I, I don't want you to do that. Here's some more money. And if for some reason I can't get back before this amount of money runs out for his stay, I will pay you more money when I come back. Take care of it. He essentially in this moment saves this man's life. Stopped everything that he was doing to save this unknown man's life. That's incredible. And so Jesus comes back after telling this story, and he says this to the lawyer. He says, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? And the lawyer responds. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. The one who had mercy on him. The one who, who, who stopped what he was doing. The one who saw the man who may or may not be considered a neighbor. The one who said, you know what, I'm not going to pass judgment on you right this second. I'm not going to let that get in the way. I'm not going to let a barrier between you and me for whatever reason, whether you're from somewhere that I, I wouldn't approve of or whether you've done something in your past that I wouldn't approve of or whether we see things differently or we have different beliefs or whatever. The one who had mercy on him is the one. And that's what we're called to do. 
That's how we're called to be. It's not an optional thing. If you would call yourself a believer, remember James said at the beginning of chapter 2, he said, believers, if you call yourself a believer, this is how you should act. This is how you should walk. This is how you should present yourself. It's what we're called to do. And just for a second, I want to say, if you're not a believer, maybe this doesn't apply to you necessarily based on James's words, but isn't this something that you would want anyway? Isn't this a way that you would want to act anyway because you would want to be the recipient of this as well? For us believers, it's not an option. I uh, took my son uh, and my wife to the zoo uh, a couple months ago. We love to take the zoo. My son is four years old. His name is Mason. He's an incredible little boy. He's awesome. He's so smart, right? He's the smartest. He's my favorite. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we take him to the zoo, and I mean, we're like, I, I, it, just, it was just a fun day. Like, it was the first time we'd taken him where he was able to really enjoy it and, and all that stuff. My wife wanted to see the monkeys. She was all about the monkeys. Like, we stood there and looked at the monkeys for it felt like two hours, I don't know. And uh, Mason is all about the, the penguins. We got to see penguins at the zoo. We took him to the aquarium. We got to see penguins there, too. I kept trying to tell him, like, let's look at something else because the aquarium is where penguins are, and he didn't understand all that. But anyway, like, we took him to see those. I love the giraffes. Like, I got to see all that and, and everything. But as, as we're walking out, um, there's this sign that's sitting there. and just kind of just sticks out. It says, all animals have intrinsic value. And that kind of stands out because you think about people who, who love animals, who, who, who are all about animals and, and have outspoken opinions and, and, and verbiage about animals and save the animals and take care of the animals and stuff. And I'm not, I'm, like, I'm not knocking that at all. Like, that's awesome. Like, I love animals too, you know? But I started thinking about that, and I'm just like, what, what if we treated humans the same way? Like, what if we recognize that this intrinsic value that all animals have that it's God-given, that you're born with it, and that you should all be created equally, what if we took that view and we applied it to our fellow human? You could say it this way. Everyone is your neighbor because everyone has intrinsic, God-given value. It's what we're called to. Each and every one of us. And this is one of those things that, that I try, I speak of Mason, I try to ingrain in him even at four years old. For about two years now, since he could talk, he could talk before that, like he's ta he talks constantly, just constant, like just sit down for a minute, just right? <laughs> I love the dude. But we have this nighttime ritual that we do. And every night when I lay him down in bed and I'm, I'm kissing him goodnight and I'm talking to him, I'm like, how's your day? How's, how's everything going? He's like, good, everything's great. And he's holding his little penguin there. I told you he loves penguins. And uh, I ask him, I, we always go through the exact same thing every night. And I say, guess what? He says, what? And I say, I'm so glad I get to be your daddy. And he says, he says guess what? I say, what? He goes, I'm so glad I get to be your Mason. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it, right? And then I say this thing. I say, what's the most important thing in the world? Every night we do this. What's the most important thing in the world? And he says, love God with all my heart and love people. And I say, what are you going to do with your day tomorrow? And he goes, glorify God with it. <laughs> and then we go through this whole like good night I love you so much hope you have sweet dreams hope you dream about all the fun things I'll see you in the morning like we have to walk through this whole thing it's like this whole ritual right 
But I dropped that one part in there because I want him to know as early as possible, every single one of us, everybody that you meet, Mason, every person that you come in contact, to, in contact with, whether it's physically or whether it's something that you say that could potentially get out there into social media and into everything that you do, every single person is loved by God along with you, and you should treat them that way because it's what we're called to, and it's because it's what we would want from somebody else. We would want them to treat us that way. So James gives us kind of this final, final charge uh, for this, this part of it. He says this. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Speak and act. Let your walk equal your talk. If you're going to call yourself a believer you darn well better show that you're a believer and do what we're called to because if we don't, we will be shown judgment without mercy. And that's a strong statement. It's out there. It's straightforward. You can't deny what he's saying here. That will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then he says this last line, and this is one of the things that I love. This is probably one of my favorite, like, sentences in the Bible. It says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy annihilates judgment. Mercy crushes judgment. Mercy kills judgment. Mercy overcomes judgment. You can say it a bunch of different ways, but mercy will always win over judgment. And who are we to withhold from someone else the exact same thing that Jesus himself demonstrated to each and every one of us on the cross? The royal law of love. Love your neighbor, period. Who are you and I to withhold that? Because here's the thing. You and I, we have choices. We can choose to build a barrier because that's what judgment does, right? Like, I could say to a person, well, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't see things exactly the same way that you do as far as your political beliefs, and so I, I just, that's something that you and I can't jive on. Or you could say to somebody, you know what, I don't, I don't like the clothes that you wear, and so that's something that you and I will never see eye to eye on. Or you can say to somebody, you know what, I just, uh, I just can't deal with annoying people. <laughs> so that's something that you and I, we, we, can't, see, we can't see eye to eye on. I'm, I'm going to judge you on that. You know what, I, I, don't, uh, I don't approve of, of your boyfriend or girlfriend or who you're sleeping with or the fact that you're sleeping with them. And so we don't, we don't see eye to eye on that. And you know what, I can't, I can't associate with you. Or you know what, I just... For whatever reason, you hurt me a long time ago, and you and I will never see eye to eye again. And there's a barrier between us. 
And even though you may try to reach out to me and you may try to connect with me, you may try with everything that you have to, to, to overcome this barrier that I've built with judgment, it's just, it's just too much. And, and, and there's, there's no way that you and I can connect this way. But at some point, at some point, if we're willing to say, you know what? I'm going to have compassion for a person that may need me in a particular moment. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to listen for just a minute because there may be somebody hurting out there. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to forgive that wrongdoing that you've done to me in the past. You know what? You're really annoying, but I'm, uh, I'm going to look past that for just a second. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what it is that you need in your life because, because here's the thing. Judgment will build a barrier. But mercy, mercy builds a bridge. And if you and I can be the type of people who can say, you know what, I'm not going to let judgment get in the way anymore. I'm not going to let favoritism get in the way anymore. I'm going to... I'm going to be merciful because I'm not the type of person that needs to withhold anything that Jesus was willing to give me first. I'm going to build a bridge so that I can be closer to you and I can take one step and I can take another step and I can take another step. And before you know it, these people right here, these people in this room are the ones leading. This generation is the one leading a country that so badly needs people to step up and build a bridge. Compassion will generate action. Forgiveness will generate freedom. A life filled with mercy can change so much, and you and I can be the ones to lead in that. And so I just simply want to ask you tonight, where are you building a barrier right now that maybe you need to tear it down and turn it into a bridge? And here's some, just some questions to help you out with this. Who needs some of your time and attention? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? Who needs your help? What evil thoughts, what judgment and evil thought in your own life needs to be annihilated? Think through that. Take it seriously. Because we would want it from somebody else, and it's already been demonstrated to us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. That years and years and years ago, you looked at us, and you said, you know what? You, you don't quite fit the bill. You're a little annoying. You don't quite meet what potential I had for you. You don't quite match up to what I thought you could have been when I first created you in my own image. You've made mistake after mistake. You're going to keep on making mistakes. You've hurt other people. You've chosen to turn your back on people who have done wrong to you. You fall short. And in all of those things, God, as you looked at us, uh, just, just a mess. And you said, you know what? I love you too much. 
and I know you need me. And I know I can do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And so I'm going to rain down mercy on you and your life and your soul. And we thank you, Jesus, for giving that to us because that gives us the ability and the power to now give it to everyone else around us. We all have intrinsic value. We're all built in your image. And therefore, we are called to overcome judgment with mercy. We thank you. And I ask that you would help each and every one of us to constantly examine, Lord. Search us and let us know where we need to make changes in our lives so that we can be the people who lead in that every single day. We love you. In Jesus' name.